All right. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our uh, Thursday night men's Bible study. We're going to continue in with our series, The Total Money Makeover. Uh, I'm making it very specific to men, but really it could apply to anyone. And so we're going to jump right into our lesson for today. And, um, and even as we get started, I want to encourage you again. I hope I hope, I hope that you all have been keeping up with the readings. Um, if you have not, uh, it's not too late. We'll be in this series for a couple more months. And um, I would certainly encourage you to go ahead and um, get the book, go through it, take your time with it. Uh, there are lots of schedules and worksheets. Uh, this is Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. And, um, and I encourage you, I encourage you, I encourage you um, to definitely get the book. Make sure that you're reading it. Make sure that you're going through the lessons as well. All right. So let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. Uh, thank you for this day and this time. Thank you for this opportunity to study uh, your principles, really, um, that are timeless. And God, we pray uh, that you would lead us by your spirit, uh, even as uh, you declare in your word that um, that there are times we have to care for the things of the world uh, so that we might operate effectively in it. And so God, lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're going to continue uh, on. We're going to start today with money myth number nine. And it says, my divorce decree says my spouse has to pay the debt. So I don't. All right. But the real truth to that is divorce decrees do not have the power to take your name off of credit cards and mortgages that you have signed for along with your spouse. So if your spouse doesn't pay, uh, then you should be ready to pay yourself. All right. You still owe the debt. It, it does not matter uh, what the decree said. Um, doesn't even matter what the judge says. Uh, if you owe the debt, your name was on it and your spouse refuses to pay, then guess who's going to pay? You will. All right. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. All right. So if your name is on a debt, you are liable to pay it and your credit is affected if you don't pay it. Uh, a divorce court doesn't even have the power to take your name off of a debt. Uh, the judge only has the power to tell your spouse to pay it for you. But if they don't pay it, you're going to still be liable. It's still going to affect your credit. All right. Even if the judge tells the spouse to pay for it. If that particular debt goes bad, it's going to show up on both of your credit reports, period. Uh, so if you keep your, you know, let's just say, for instance, you uh, you keep your truck uh, that you both sign for and then you don't make the payments, both of your credit reports will be damaged. The truck will get repoed and you will get sued for the balance. All right. So whatever the original loan company, whatever they resold the truck for, whatever the difference is and whatever the balance is, you're going to get sued for it. 
So even if you are ending a marriage, I don't really like talking like this, uh, but these are real situations. Uh, you have to make sure that all debts are refinanced out of your name or force the sale of the item. That needs to be a part of the, <laughs> the proceedings. We're going to sell this house. We're going to sell the, these assets. Sell the house or refinance it as part of the divorce, period. All right. Any other way is going to carry a huge risk um, unless you're just good with paying for it. Uh, even if, you know, the other person is living in it or still using the car, if you're fine paying for it and you're fine paying for it. But even if they say that they're going to take on the, the responsibility to pay for it, if both of your names were on the original mortgage agreement, then guess what? you both are still going to be liable. So that's why we say either refinance it um, and do a whole new deal in one person's name uh, or just sell it. All right. That's really the best way to approach it. All right. Let's move on. Uh, money truth, money myth number 10. That collector was so helpful. He must really like me. Look, the truth is collectors are not your friends. Um, you should pay what you owe, but the collectors are not your friends. Uh, and as a matter of fact, any collector that's like really loving, caring, uh, you know, and understanding uh, will probably not do a good job in collections and they won't have that job very long. Um, you know, so that's just the real. Uh, <laughs> uh, people who work in collections who have a have a heart. Uh, will be ter do, will do a terrible job uh, in collecting. Um, I used to work um, for a car dealership in collections, and uh, and I had too much heart to stay in a business like that. Um, especially because you know we were they were really just getting over on people. You know, took in people with bad credit and gave them bad cars and then they had to open up a repair account and um if if you really have a heart for god it's going to be really difficult for you to stay in a field like that where you know it's taking advantage of those who don't have and taking advantage really of the poor all right proverbs 22 and 7 says just as the rich rule the poor so the borrower is servant to the lender and um and that's one of our foundational scriptures even for this series. All right, let's look at money myth number 11. I'll just file bankruptcy and start all over. Listen, bankruptcy is hard. Uh, it is gut-wrenching. It is life-changing event that will cause, in many respects, it can cause lifelong damage. And uh, so just because you could do it and you can do it, it doesn't necessarily mean you should do it, all right? So I'm gonna, what I mean by that is if you incur a debt, um, then even if you didn't have all the information or you weren't clear on the information, you probably had it, it was in that real fine print. Um, you know, if you incur a debt, you should pay the debt. Um, if you take on a goods or services or education or whatever it might be, um, and you use debt in order to purchase it, 
um, then you should pay what you owe. And, and some people say, well, I don't mind paying what it costs, but I don't know about the interest. Well, every, every dime that you borrow um, is, is money that the person who lent it to you could have gained interest on it. So instead of them being able to gain interest on that money, they're going to charge you interest for all of the lost interest or lost income that they could have received had they kept it. And trust me, because it's a business or service, uh, they're going to charge you more than whatever interest they could have possibly learned, uh, could have earned. So you want to keep that in mind. Um, you know, let me, I want to quickly just kind of, some people say, well, what's the difference between chapter seven, chapter 11 and chapter 13 bankruptcy? So I'll do just, uh, kind of a, a brief overview, uh, of the differences between those, those three types, uh, of chap of filings for bankruptcy. So chapter seven is basically your assets are sold to pay creditors. And chapter seven bankruptcy stays on your credit report for 10 years. A chapter 11, and I'm really simplifying these. So I know there's more to these, but I'm just giving it to you in its simplest form. Um, a chapter 11 is when negotiations are held with creditors to alter the terms of the loan without you having to liquidate your assets or sell off your stuff uh, in order to pay back creditors. So. Uh, and that stays on your credit report for 10 years as well. And then you have a chapter 13, which allows someone with regular income to make an adjustment to how they pay back some debts. All right. And that stays on your credit report for seven years. But um, loan applications and job applications, they may ask if you've ever filed for bankruptcy. And if you lie and you're found out, you are committing what we call criminal fraud. Now, there are certain jobs that you cannot hold if you have filed for bankruptcy. <clears throat> um, and, and you can't lie about it, even if it's no longer on your credit report. If they ask you, have you ever filed? Um, yeah, you can withhold that information, but you know you would be committing fraud. So. Um, so I want to encourage you again, whatever you can do to not file for bankruptcy, um, I promise you, while, you know, creditors, you know, they will bark and in some cases they might even bite. But the reality is, as long as you're paying them something, even if it's not what they're asking for, guess what? You know, they're, they're not going to prosecute you. Um, they're, they're not coming after your stuff. So long as you're paying them something. Now, they may take your car, but that's okay. Because think about it. If you owe $20,000 on a car, they take it and they resell it. Uh, you may not have the car, but at least you don't owe $20,000 anymore. You're going to owe whatever the difference was between what you owe and what they sold the car for. All right. And so someone may, you know, some might say, yeah, but I still owe 5,000 on it because they only sold it for 15,000. So I still owe $5,000 on a car that I don't even have. Um, guess what? 
it is better to be out from under that $15,000 in debt than to still have it. Um, so, hey, you find another way, whether it's bus or whatever you got to do. Um, look through the periodicals, see if there's an estate sale somewhere and there may be a precious old saint somewhere who, you know, who passed away and she only drove her car on Sundays and it, it might be 20 years old, but it's only got 30,000 miles on it. And, and the family may just be willing to just sell it for pennies on the dollar. So you never know. Um, do your due diligence uh, so that you can put yourself in a much better place. Bankruptcy is not the way. If you do file for bankruptcy, uh, there's still hope for you. Um, you know, don't just throw in the towel. It doesn't mean, you know, your financial life is over. Uh, there are still things that you can do. And the same principles that we'll be talking about in this series will apply even for you, even if you have filed for bankruptcy before. All right. All right. So let's go now into myth number 12. I cannot use cash because it's dangerous. I might get robbed. Listen, uh, the truth is you're being robbed every day by not using the power of cash. And we've talked about that uh, already a little bit. You know, when you spend cash, you spend less, period. All right. Um, as opposed to when you're using a credit card, you're going to spend more. Um, and so th there's just something about you having to peel off that cash. I, I know I, I like how Dave Ramsey said it in the chapter. He said, you, he said, you may scare people at the counter because they may think you're a drug dealer because you got a wad of cash on you and hardly nobody uses cash anymore. Uh, but who cares? You know, who cares? Uh, the reality is, you know, people get robbed whether they carry cash or not. All right. You need to be far more concerned about the danger of using credit cards than the danger of being robbed or carrying cash. As a matter of fact, people are more prone um, to take your identity or uh, steal money from you after you have used your credit card somewhere. Then you are far more likely to have had that happen than for someone to run up on you, knock you upside the head and take your money. Far more likely that they will steal money from you through your credit card or even your debit card than, you know, than stealing your cash off of you. All right. And that's the truth. Uh, I, I would dare to say probably all of us in here have had somebody take something out of our account um, that we did not incur, we did not authorize. Um, as a lot of times they start with small dollar amounts just to see if someone's watching. And if no one's watching, then they start taking a little bit more, siphoning off a little bit more. Um, but, you know, that while that has happened uh, literally to 75% of all credit card users or debit card users, the reality is, a person can go a whole lifetime and never have been robbed of their cash. Uh, all right. So that's something to think about. Uh, I kind of equate that to people who are afraid to fly, um, but they're not afraid to drive. And they are far more likely to get into an accident driving than flying. All right. People die all the time uh, in car crashes in almost every state every day. 
Um, and that rarely ever happens when it comes to plane or aircrafts of any type. All right. I'm just saying. All right. Let's look at money myth uh, number 13. I cannot afford insurance. Uh, the truth is some insurance you can't afford to live without. Um, you know, it, the reality is we all hate insurance until we need it, right? <laughs> uh, nobody likes paying insurance. Sometimes it seems like it's a waste. Uh, but the reality is once you need it, you're thankful that you have it. So I want to talk about a, a few different types of insurance that you really need and We'll go more in depth with each of these a little bit later in our series, but I, I wanna just touch on what you really need. And this is important. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 28 says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? And this is basically just an example of saying, hey, you, you have to prepare for your future. Um, you want to be able to complete your life as comfortably as possible, making sure that you have enough finances to help sustain you uh, even in your later years. So, uh, so a few types of insurance that you just automatically have to have. If you drive, you have to have auto insurance. Um, if you have a home uh, or renting, they require that you have, your mortgage company will require that you have insurance. And um, and most rent, you know, renting places will require that you have renter's insurance. So auto and home insurance, non-negotiables. Um, home insurance is something that you may it's not as costly because the likelihood of, of a person really needing it is not very high. But auto insurance is costly because the likelihood of you needing it is very much high. So. Um, so that's something that you have to have life insurance. Um, and again, you know, any having life insurance is, is important. Uh, but I will say this, it is more important when you have dependents. Um, it is more important when you have young children, uh, who are still living in your household. It is more important if you have a spouse um, who may have been a stay-at-home mom and was not working. Um, <clears throat> but life insurance is, is not an essential, and I know, you know that scares people. It's not an essential if you have cash. If, if you have cash stored up and you've been saving through the years, uh, making sure that you have enough to cover your burial and funeral. Um, you're talking about, you know, 20,000 max. Um, you know, that's important. That's the most important thing. <clears throat> but if you have dependents, then yes, you want to have more than that. Um, I've said it before, you want to have at least 10 times your annual salary um, you want to have uh, if you are uh, if you still have dependents who are relying on your income. All right. So uh, life insurance, term life helps you to save money. <clears throat> um, and, you know, one of the one example, I mean, term life is just really like whole life insurance is like 20 times the cost of term life. Um, again, 
you know, I'm not going to push that one a whole lot. Um, I think no matter who you are, <clears throat> you need something in place, especially if you have dependents and just to make sure that you, you know, you don't become a burden on your family, uh, in the event that you die and we all will. Um, so, but at the same time, for me, I believe that I can invest the difference uh, between the cost of term life and whole life. I can invest the difference and do far better um, than, than even any you know, cash policies or anything that whole life policies can offer, period. It's just, it's not even a match. So, uh, so I would encourage you, I would encourage you to, if you can do it, do the term life. Um, the basic difference is, of course, yes, at, it has a term, it has a cutoff. And once you get to the cutoff, renew your term. That's all to it. Now, some will say, yeah, by that time, I might be 60 and have some real medical issues. Well, guess what? It's still not going to cost anywhere near. Because remember, you are not trying, once you're in your 60s, the likelihood of you having dependents people that are dependent on your income, is just not as high. You, at that stage, what you really need is enough to cover your funeral expenses. And for most of you, you can save that up on your own without having to have a life insurance policy. All right. Um, all right. So I'm going to leave that one alone. Let's move now into another one that some people may not have even heard of long-term disability insurance. Okay. So let's say, you know, if you are like 32 years of age, you are 12 times more likely to be, dis to become disabled when you're working between the years of 32 and 65, you are 12 times more as likely to become disabled than you are to die by age 65. And if you have long-term disability insurance, you can get coverage normally that equals 50 to 70% of your annual income. This is not government-sponsored disability, which won't give you nearly that much. This is your own insurance, all right? This is how you will protect yourself in the event that you are physically unable to work and you are 12 times more likely to have to deal with a physical disability that hinders your ability to work than you are to die by the age of 65. That's something to think about because people push, 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 get your life insurance, get your life insurance and you need it. But not having long-term disability insurance puts you in, in an even worse predicament while you're alive. Um, so that is something to think about. All right. Also, health insurance. It helps you to save on premiums. Um, listen, high deductible uh, creates a much lower premium. And again, you know, your, your premium is what you're paying each month. The deductible is how much of the responsibility or the dollar amount that you have to pay before uh, the insurance uh, takes over the rest, all right? 
And this plan, it really does. It allows you to save for medical expenses in a tax-free savings account. That's a HSA, health savings uh, account. All right. Um, some of you may also use a FSA, a flexible spending account that has a medical um, uh, line in it. All right. All right. All right. And then I want to go into this, this last one here, long-term care insurance. Now, this is different from long-term disability insurance. Long-term care insurance is something I would encourage you to get if you are 60 or over. Um, in order, this kind of insurance will cover in-home care or nursing home care. Now, I want you to think about this. The average nursing home annual care is about $40,000 a year for a nursing home. So, Let's say you had $250,000 in your savings and, and you're thinking, hey, I'm doing good. I got money. Uh, but guess what? If you end up in a nursing home, you can blow through that in about six to seven years and you still have the rest of your life to live. But if you have long term care insurance, it helps to protect and safeguard a lot of your savings that you worked so hard for. All right. Um, and so this is Again, this is something else that is really, really good uh, to have in place. I would encourage you to check it out, look into it, um, do some comparative analysis there. Um, listen, you have to take your time as you go through many of these uh, different types of insurance, all right? Ask around, ask some of your friends, hey, you heard of this, what works? Study it, Google it, you name it, all right? All right. now. Finally, money myth number 14. If I do a will, I might die. Well, here's the truth. You're going to die anyway, so you may as well do it with a will. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Listen, 70% of Americans die without a will. That means they leave it up to uh, you know the the government to figure out what to do with their money, and and guess what? There's a lot of money that goes unclaimed uh, because you know the government doesn't always make it easy for you to find it and let you know that you're entitled to something. So a will is really a gift that you leave your family or your loved ones. Um, it is a gift because it makes the management of your estate very clear and so much easier, all right? It, it's a lot of hard work to get an estate plan in place, to get your will and estate plan in place. My parents uh, over the last few months have been doing it. I pushed for it, I pushed for it, and they're doing it. And it is, it's a lot of work. You know, having to decide who will handle financial things, who will handle um, the medical decisions that needs to be made between my sister and I. But I'm glad they're doing it. I'm glad they're putting in the time now. They're both uh, 71 and they're putting in the time now to get all of that stuff in place with an attorney um, to make sure that it's, it's good, to make sure that everything is covered. All right. And um, so I want to encourage all of you guys to do this. It doesn't matter how young you are, or how old you are. 
to make sure that you have an estate plan in place uh, because you never know um, when you will go to be with Jesus. So you just want to make sure that while you're basking in the arms of the Lord, uh, that your family is not pulling their hair out, trying to figure out what to do with all the stuff you left. All right. Um, so make sure that you you make life a little bit easier on them, uh, even as you're uh, enjoying the presence of the Lord. All right. I pray that this bless you all. Uh, we'll take some time, about 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes to take some Q&A. And um, let's close out uh, this portion uh, with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, oh God. Oh my God, you, you've already prepared a place for us in glory. And so Father, we pray right now uh, that you will give us the wisdom, the patience, the perseverance, so that we might prepare our families for the day that we go to be with you. God, continue to give us wisdom. Lead us by your spirit. God, we not, we're not nervous about having these kinds of conversations. We understand, God, that us talking about it doesn't make it come any quicker. Uh, for God, our lives are in your hands. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So also, guys, I want to encourage you uh, next week. Um, will be our last Bible study before we take a little bit of a break uh, for the holidays. We'll have a couple of weeks off. And um, uh, so I encourage you to go ahead in the next section of your reading. Uh, we're up to pages 74 through 87. We'll talk about two more hurdles before we go into the new year when we go take a deeper dive into some very practical money management things that uh, that we're going to learn together and um, and that I'm going to share with you. And uh, there'll be some things that I'll ask you to do uh, in those sessions. So you'll have some homework starting in the new year. All right. Blessings, blessings, blessings. I also want to remind you guys, uh, I want to thank you all. You all have been so faithful over the last couple of years with giving. Uh, I had no idea that some of you have been giving towards the men's ministry um, consistently. Um, and I want to thank you for that. And I appreciate it so greatly. It helps us to do everything that we do uh, and continuing to provide ministry for you all. And, and just, hey, we're, we're here every week and um, here engaging. And, and, uh, and I try to bring content to you. Uh, that are things that really speak to where you are. Um, I think it's great to be really deep and spiritual, but at some point we got to bring that down to a place where we can actually apply it to our everyday life. And so uh, that's what I endeavor to do. And thank you. Thank you for those of you that give. Um, remember, in any of our giving platforms, if you just put on your memo line, men's ministry, then we will receive the allocation of those funds. And so thank you again. Also want to remind you guys, uh, coming up, I believe it is uh, coming up on December. Let me check it just to make sure. December the 18th. December the 18th um, is our Christmas on the Boulevard. And with that in mind, 
on Friday night, December the 17th. Y'all know normally it was on a Tuesday, the Christmas on Merrick, but we have shifted and moved it to a Saturday. And so with that in mind, on Friday night, y'all know we're gonna need some manpower to help set up our barricades so that they'll be good and ready on Saturday morning uh, for the hundreds and hundreds of people that will come through. And so we are asking, and the reason why we're doing it so late um, uh, is because there's a funeral that will be held uh, on that evening. And so we're asking for guys, if you're able uh, to come on out, uh, we are saying 10 o'clock, uh, you know, just to make sure that the crowds have dispersed and, and we're able to set up the parking lots. I know it's a late time, uh, but I want to thank you in advance for those of you that are willing and able. All right. Willing and able. If y'all have some young men that you can bring with you, some teenagers, go ahead, snatch them up, grab them, tell them, come on. We need we need some of their young men uh, manpower. All right. Thank you again. We're going to close out here.